Who's the person you turn to when you need advice? The person who gives you confidence and strength? The person who's been your biggest support? The person you shop with, ask their opinion and trust them implicitly? For me, it's... Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. As a mother and daughter, we know we have a close bond, but each mother and daughter relationship is unique and different, and that's exactly what we want to explore. Each week, we'll sit down with mothers and daughters and talk about their bond, from the ones who work together to others who have survived, shared passions, overcome loss, and in general, have a great relationship that is worth sharing. This is Mothers Mothers and Daughters Daughters Podcast. Hi, Ma. Hi, Del been a while it has been a while but i guess we're you've back. been well and you've been a bit busy you've been a bit busy well, as well except i didn't have baby you didn't you had another grandson though. yes so <laughs> I, you're right i have been a bit busy you've been busy because <laughs> i've been lumping the other two on you so yeah yes or all the new one or the new one he's not so new he's anymore. not so new um in case you missed it his name is nate he's now eight months old Gorgeous, delightful child. Bouncing 10 kilos of baby. Yeah, he's heavy. Doing really well, thriving, slightly in the background. Hope you don't mind. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it through, but he's having dinner with his Joe Pa. So anyway, we're just sneaking in a preamble because it has been a really long time. So today's episode, it's a two-parter. So the first part will be today and the next part will be next week with the amazing Jess and her mum, Donna. And I did have to re-listen to it a little bit. And that was the day that Nate actually wasn't in such a good mood to sleep. So he's on me in the episode. But I think Alba was also yes in the episode as well. So we yes, got two babies was, yeah, in the episode. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah. And... um. Nate was very quiet by the end. He did he did sleep. So mm. that was good. Alba was pretty good too. She was for the length phenomenal. For, for the, the length of time we sat there, yeah, she was exactly. so so easy and just pleasant and smiling and yeah, no, very it's amazing. Sweet. But what an unbelievable story Incredible. she went through. Mm. You know. Well, before even having before mm. even conceiving the uh, Alba via surrogacy, she had fifteen rounds of IVF. While working a very high pressure job and and just an incredible story of survival and really just the a testament to her and her husband and her mother's strength really because absolutely and so desperately wanting a child wanting a child so the background story is she found a surrogate in the Ukraine and the reason for doing so as you'll hear in the episode is because they treat their surrogates really well. And as you've known from the headlines in the news, there has been a lot to talk about in the Ukraine. And so what ended up happening was she was informed that her surrogate was going into labor early. And while they were in the air, the Ukraine went to war. So the story of getting Alba out is, I mean, it's beyond. It's beyond. Uh, I, I just, you know, it's something that you will find very hard to turn off. But the good news is they are home. She's doing really well. It's an incredible story. And we hope you enjoy it. And we're so happy to be back. We are. And 
spread our love and and tell everybody about our podcast that we're back. Yeah. I mean, it is very interesting because somebody was telling me uh, with a previous podcast we did that somebody reconnected with them via one of the podcasts yeah. we had done. I think I told you this. Oh, um, don't think by so. listening we'll in the UK. Oh, so you know, it's just amazing to hear yeah. that we are not just, you know, in our local community. We go quite we, quite we're far. Global. We're there global. Yeah, we are. So yeah, spread so spread thank the love. You. Spread the love. Spread it around. And as always, you know, I hope it sparks. We hope it sparks conversations with your mum. If you haven't been in contact with your mum today, this week, call your mum. As you saw from my posts on the Oscars Day, mum was a big part of everybody's thank you speech. So we have to thank our mums because without them we wouldn't be here. That's so right. if you haven't called your mum, please do so and enjoy the episode with Jess and Donna. Lovely to be back. Can you both tell us a bit about yourselves, please? Hi, I'm Donna Faulkner, um, Jessie's mum. I live in Gippsland, which is about 160k southeast of Melbourne. However, we're moving to Melbourne in the near future, so um, oh, okay, be closer to um, be closer to Jessica, Alba, and Kevy. Lovely. Um, I have three daughters. Brooke is 40. Jessie is 38. And Ashley is 36. And I'm so privileged to be a grandmama to three beautiful babies. Oh, gorgeous. Gorgeous. Two of them were born this year. Oh, my gosh. Busy, beautiful year for you. Absolutely. That's lovely. Very nice. Yeah. And um, My name's Jess. And, yeah, I'm a chef. And, yeah, I'm Elba's mum. And she's eight months old. And she was born yeah. <laughs> very extraordinary birth story with her. I was going to say that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> I think it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting year. I'll, I'll, I've heard a bit of obviously the backstory. I look forward to actually hearing more about your amazing story and Obviously, you know, getting having yeah. having a wonderful child uh, as the outcome is obviously the best the best you could you know ex, you know obviously joy and and wonderment uh, from from your experience is amazing. Yeah, we're very very lucky to have her here, home and healthy, and you know, just thank my lucky stars every day. Mm. Can I ask how how long have you been home? We got home on the 21st of June, so Alba was 17 weeks old when we got home. Um, Mum, my husband had to come home and so mum came over for the last six weeks we were over there. We thought it would be about two or three. Mm. (laughs) It had to be six. So we had six weeks together in London um, with Alba and then we came home together. That's very nice. That's very. I mean, probably... As much as you weren't expecting, obviously, to be there that long, but obviously you look back at your experience and probably think of it, you know, as a very special time that you spent together. It was. Mm. And and particularly for me because I got to know Elba really well in those, you know, be able to give her lots of cuddles and lots of um, lots of one-on-one time. Um, 
with both of us. So it was, it was really beautiful. That's lovely. Stressful at the time, but <laughs> very stressful. <laughs> London heat waves, and we're in a tiny oh, apartment. Of, oh, of course. No, air, no air conditioning. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a little bit challenging. <laughs> Amazing. Was, yeah. And Donna, if I can ask you, what was Jessica like as a child? Uh, well, I'm the middle child. She's the middle child. And um, um, what do they say about that? We have three children. The, you, the, the first one makes the rules. The second one uh, disobeys the rules. And the, and the third one gets away with it. Yeah, that's right. I, I so know, Jess- yes. I was going to say, yes. sorry to interrupt. I know that because I'm also one of three girls. Yes. So, and I'm the middle one. So I kind of can relate to it because my older sister would always say, oh, that's not fair. Like I had to wait for ages and she's doing it at the same time and then the younger one got away with so much more. Anyway, you continue. <laughs> so Jess was, um, was a very determined little girl right from the get-go. You know, her older sister, uh, Brooke, who was two years older, you know, when she started to um, uh, to do things, you know, drink out of a cup and eat and, um, you know, challenge her things. As a, as a little girl, Jessica would want to do that too. So I think as soon as um, breastfeeding stopped for me, as soon as Jessica noticed that her sister was able to drink out of a cup. Um, so she was always very determined and right through her school years, determined, dedicated, um, she, you know, a really really beautiful child and um, adolescent teenager and um, um, now I'm seeing her, um, you know, just with such pride, being a beautiful mum. That's lovely. So, yeah, she, um, when when Jess and Kev, when, when it became mum, um, knowledge that Jess and Kev were having difficult, difficulty having a baby, um, you know, some, some of my friends would say, you know, is that sad enough? In the back of my mind, I was always thought, no, it'll happen mm. because this, this girl will continue to strive, um, make herself as knowledgeable as she can. Um, she'll get what she wants because she always did. And, um, and you know, to look at Elba now, this beautiful little girl, um, you know, a baby, mm. uh, it's just what, just what they've always wanted. So we are just blessed. That's lovely. Jess, She's watching Melon. Oh. <laughs> <Guess> you <wonder>. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were your favourite memories growing up with two other sisters? Um, my favourite memories. <laughs> we used to, oh, I'm trying to think of favourite memories. Yeah, we had lots of memories. Like with every school holidays, we'd get sent somewhere because um, <laughs> no, mum and dad would work, so we'd sort of like go to nana's or grandma's or um, I used to go to my favourite auntie dies. So we'd all sort of go somewhere for the school holidays and that was always something we looked forward to. We used to spend a lot of time in Rosebud with our nana and pop. Um, yeah, but we grew up on, in the country, so we had like a big big house, a uh, big like house and we had we had some property and so we had lots of animals. Like a climbing tree and animals and, yeah, I always remember those sorts of things. Now we're sort of in the middle of the city and I always think, not the middle of the city, suburbs, but... Um, mm. I think oh, I can't wait to one day perhaps move back to the country. Yeah, it's kind of in your blood. Yeah, we had chickens and we had a dam that Jessica and her friend um, was being um, babysat by Grandma. Actually, went for a nude swim in the dam, um, um, and you know we had, they had lots of 
lots of experiences um, living in the country. Pinched our eggs <laughs> from the chicken shed. Yeah. And it always they went and they were sort of smashed up behind the wood pile. Um, we had what? a fun childhood. What, when did when did you move away from the country? Um, when I finished school, I um, wasn't ready to move to Melbourne yet to follow study or. So I um, took an apprenticeship as a chef at a local place because I liked cooking and mum and I always used to cook together. So that's something we used to do. Yeah. We still do. That's um, lovely. Yeah, and so I moved to Melbourne. I started an apprenticeship in Gippsland and then as soon as I went to school in Melbourne at um, TAFE and chef school and got a taste of Melbourne restaurants, I was up here not long after. So I came up here about 20 years ago, I think. Yeah. And my husband and I said, um, just got a stint at the Melbourne Cup Festival. Mm. I think it was about a four-day um, with a catering company working at a variety of functions. And um, she said, can I go? Can I go? And he said, yeah, we'll organise some accommodation for you because I think he might have been about 17 or just 18. Yeah. And um, and as soon as she left um, and then didn't have time to come home for the weekend, we realised that we had lost her to Melbourne and mm. um um, Melbourne restaurants were very grateful mm. for that. Yes. You obviously, um, obviously your passion for cooking, for being a chef, that obviously comes from your mum. I, I, obviously your mum's a good cook. A oh, very good cook. One of my earliest memories actually is mum teaching me how to make a room for a white sauce. Mm. Every time I make make a bechamel, I think. Think of her. Yeah, that's one thing that she taught me how to do. But we quite often now, like Christmas is always a really big, big event. Really? Mm. Get our menus going, and yeah, it's something that we, we do now that we really enjoy. That's lovely. Are all your sisters good cooks as well? Um, no. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds like or a maybe, no. or maybe I That's shouldn't be no. asking that. It's just sometimes it runs in the family, and sometimes it just doesn't. No, they have good cooks. They're, they're good cooks, but I don't think they they don't have the passion for cooking. Like, yes, um, like um, you know, they've both got their own careers, and it, it doesn't involve. Uh, cooking so um um they cook they cook well but yeah passionate no (laughs) yes as long as they appreciate the ones who work the hardest in the kitchen that's the most important yeah they do they're always first to want to see the menu at christmas oh okay picky about the menu (laughs) um Donna, do you mind sharing what your journey to motherhood was like? Well, you know, it was like um, it was very easy. It was very simple. And I guess, you know, for somebody, I'm, um, you know, in their early 60s, um, you know, my husband and I married and, um, you know, a few years later thought, oh, it would be nice to have a baby. And I, I think probably about nine months later I um, <laughs> was expecting my first baby. You know, I didn't didn't think about not ever being able to conceive and it wasn't something that was even spoken about um it, you know back in the 1980s um not in my circle of friends anyway but I'm sure there were there were couples who had infertility issues but they just as you say didn't really discuss it it wasn't that's that there wasn't the um the scientific um, mm. um interventions now it must have been going on though because the first uh, Australian IVF baby. It was in my sister's year at school. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so there was, you know, infertility then. Um, so, so my uh, my dream to motherhood. And then two years, two years later, um, 
um, after having put Jessica arrived um, because we then had decided, um, you know, we would we would have another child and and then again, I was so, so fortunate then mm. to um, to have had. So it was a real surprise um, for um, for us when Jess and Kev uh, shared um, that they'd been on IVF for a couple of years. Mm. Um, that, that um, you know, they weren't able to conceive um, naturally. Mm. So you just don't think of it. Of course. Yeah. Of course, when it when it's uh, seems so natural, but, you know, when it when it comes to it, you know, sometimes for others it's just not. Yeah. So um, I loved my mothering days. I think um, I've had a great career um, uh, and owned a business and um, just recently retired. But when I look back to some of the most favourite um, times of my life, it was actually uh, mothering and being a role model to my girls, which I think uh, has certainly panned out in what they're achieving in their in their lives now. Oh, that's lovely. Nice. Makes for a good grandmother, I would say. <laughs> and you've <laughs> obviously you've obviously got good patting skills. I can see that. Oh yeah, I think I'm winning it, despite the fact that she's not even in her little um, sleep suit. Sleep suit. <laughs> yeah, like Nate. Yeah. Oh no, you're not <laughs> <laughs> No, no, sleeping. And Jess, uh, do you mind if you can tell us a bit about your fertility journey before surrogacy? Yeah. So Kevin and I've been together for twenty years. Not long after I did move to Melbourne, we met um, at a restaurant in the kitchen, <laughs> and we've sort of been together ever since. Oh, so that's so nice. We, we sort of ticked all the things off our list that we wanted to do, like as chefs, it's sort of. I don't know, sort of a rite of passage to, to work in London. So we sort of, we went and worked in London. We went and worked in the south of France and then we got home and I think I must have been about, oh, no, I was a bit younger, but then we started working and we got good jobs we cared about and then we just put it off. We're sort of like, ah, oh, we're sort of both um, like moving up the ladder in, ladder in our workplaces. I think I was about to take on a head chef role and so was Kevy. Um it sort of got put to the side. And I think when I turned about 30, we thought, okay, let's now, It is because obviously working in a kitchen as a head chef, it's not the most friendly for, I mean, pregnancy aside, it's not the friendliest when you have a newborn to be a head no, chef in a kitchen. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, and it was also really hard juggling IVF appointments around um, working like that. But, um, yeah, so we started trying naturally and I knew something was wrong. I just thought, no, this isn't right. I was sort of following all the um, apps and things. Following all the apps and doing all that and every month I would just get a real surprise that we weren't pregnant. And I think it got to about, I think about seven or eight months and I went to see my doctor and I said, look, I know you'd like us to try for a year but can we just do these tests? And I had no idea about IVF. I didn't know much about it I'd heard a few friends had gone through it um but now like well I, I like to think I know pretty much like everything about it I was <laughs> I, I can imagine you know yeah, it's, IVF is awesome but if it doesn't work it's hell mm. That's sort of where we were so it was it was really hard because you emotionally and financially investing so much into something and then when it doesn't work like I remember sitting in my neighbor's um across the roads lounge room before we started our first round of IVF saying how on earth am I going to afford one round of IVF and now I don't know how we did that but 15 rounds in oh my god yeah we just we were determined 
um, yeah, we're just always, we just really wanted a child. Like we've got pets, we've got two cats and a dog, which are our life. Um, mm. <laughs> they're not loving their life so much now. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'll get used to it. They'll get used to it. <laughs> um, but we just always really wanted a family. Like we want a family. We want to, yeah. But life turned very, um, yeah, it was actually a really dark time of our lives. Like we stopped stop contacting and communicating with a lot of our friends. I mean, there's only so many times you can be invited to something and you say no and then you just don't get invited anymore. Mm. We used to get invited to the birthdays and we wouldn't go and then we just didn't get invited anymore. Mm. Yeah, I totally get it and I probably wouldn't have gone even if I was invited. Mm. It just made us feel really distant and really different to all of our friends. Um, yeah, we just desperately wanted a family. Friends who had children. Friends who had children. Yeah. 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 And lots of our friends don't have children. Um, yeah. The friends who did have children, who do have children. Yeah. We sort of, I don't know, we sort of grew a little bit apart. It's hard yeah. when you're going through it. I mean, did you share with your family straight away when you started the IVF journey or did you just keep that? I did share with them, but then I didn't tell them all the time. So some cycles I wouldn't tell them, some I mm. would. Some I'd sort of think, oh, I'd love to surprise them at the end of this month. Yeah, so I did, I did share with them, but not all the the ins and outs. And but they, like my sisters and my mum, and yeah, my stepmom were definitely on the journey with us. And and Donna, I mean, how was it? Must have been so hard for you as Jess's mother, you know, like, you know, knowing what you knew that it was easy for you I guess how how were you able to obviously help Jess through that part of her life it was really hard yeah I don't even know if I ever helped her Mm. Um, you know because you wanted to be involved and I wanted to ask but I didn't want to be intrusive Um, and then um, they both Kevin Jess um you know, during that dark time, um, you know, you didn't want to say, well, what's happening? Where are we going? Why do mm. we do this? Why, what about this? Because Jessie was well-versed mm. in everything that, that was possible mm. and, and was, was obviously trying a range of um, um, things. And then if, when I knew she had a cycle um, and then I knew that there was a, a blood test that was going to real, reveal a positive or negative, you know, you hardly ring up and say, what's Hi, happening? how did you go? Yeah. Mm. And so you Mm. And then you waited and you didn't hear for it. You knew. Sometimes there'd be three weeks where we wouldn't hear. Mm. The girls and I'd be saying, have you heard from Jess? No. It's obviously a negative. Well, I've got to find out how she is. Um, and then, you know, we'd message or something because I didn't want to confront. Mm. And Jess would say, hey, listen, I can't talk mm. when I'm feeling more positive. Mm. And so it was just, it, that was actually heartbreaking. Um, mm. Because a mum, you know, a, your little girl falls over. You, you want to fix it. everything, of course. You want to put a bandage over it. You want to fix it. You want to make her happy. Um, and so, even as an adult daughter, I want to fix it. Of course. Yeah. See, I can fix this, <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't fix. Yeah. But we tried. Like you name it, we tried it. I'm we sure. Left, and that's one thing that I can say is that we left no stone. Yes. I think we saw four or five, like, consulted, four mm. or five specialists. We went through three clinics. Um, and in the end, 
I was pretty much saying to the doctors, right, I want to try this, I want this, I want that. And I look back at it now and thinking, my God, <laughs> what were you doing? No, but I think sometimes, you know, specialists and and that and I'm not taking away from medical professionals because you know they we train them. and we need them mm. and all that but sometimes it does take being your own advocate even as a couple to kind of push through because it's not like you've done one round you've done 15 rounds of IVF you know your own body as well you know there's only so much a medical professional can know about you as well and, you know, sometimes you know something that they don't know or someone's had something, you know, from overseas or whatever it is and you look back and you think, oh, I'm telling them what to do. But, you know, what if it worked that time? You never, like, you just never know. And IVF such, like, it's it's a gamble. Like, if yeah. you, like you're literally told, we were told in our circumstances, you've got 33% chance of this working so that's like it's not even high yeah it's not even 50 percent no and like would you put a bet on yeah like, something that was 33 percent 33 percent yeah but you hand over ten thousand dollars just with the like it's an, it, 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 i think it's a, it's, it's, just it's an same. addiction like yeah, yeah. And us, like when we did get the two lines we've got a positive cycle like and then it didn't work it's like oh we got so close yeah like, so you do it next time do it again yes mm. and mm. so you just yeah it's just Almost like they're on that poker machine, or yeah, you know, really, or yeah, on the movie. slots. You just keep going. Yeah. You're just or like you, next you one. You get a bit the of money, one. and you go, "Oh, I'll just put it all back again." You know, yeah. And yeah. I desperately want this, and yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. And we tried, like, not only the medical side of things, like acupuncture, hypnotherapy. Mm. Um, I'm sure you did everything, standing on your head if you had to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have done, yeah, anything to. Well, you did. Uh, yeah. You did. Yes. I mean, what was you obviously working throughout all these appointments and cycles? What, yeah, I was working as a head chef in a restaurant. How, how did you do? Like, how did you do that? I mean, just the emotional toll. I I know from friends who have gone through it. Just you know, just the hormone injections alone, and how clinical it has to be in terms of when you do the injections and things like that. But also just the toll on your body, and then on top of that, you're running a kitchen. How did hard. you do that? Yeah, I had very supportive employers, which was really, really good. But like sometimes, like even being a head chef, seven thirty, if I had to do my trigger shot, my alarm would go off. I'd run up to the um, private dining room bathrooms and inject myself with the trigger shot like that. Yeah, but I think after about thirteen rounds, I couldn't do it anymore. I was close to having a nervous breakdown, mm. Mm. and yeah, I was really angry and it was affecting my life. Oh. And, yeah, I resigned because I just I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And I wasn't happy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just wasn't myself. So I ended up resigning and took long service leave. So that's what I did. But um, my employers were amazing. Mm. So they were really good to me. Um, and I was there for <laughs> 10 years, I think. Oh, so gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but um, I just couldn't do it anymore. It was just too much. I was too... Too angry and <laughs> yeah. What did you want to say? <laughs> what did you want to say, madam? What did you want to say? You want to you say something? <laughs> it was you all waiting for. Yes, happy, to, <laughs> happy to be part of your beautiful family. And so when did you actually start 
looking into surrogacy? You know, like was it before, like you got to the end of the 15th IVF and you thought, I, I ju- we just can't ha- win? Well, I, always, I always had the next plan in place. So before the cycle was even failed, I'd be like, right, if this doesn't work, I'd have a doctor's appointment with a new specialist and I'd know what I was going to. So I always had the next step planned. And I sort of, we changed specialists. We had our final IVF specialist and he's very well known for being very straight. Mm. <laughs> Even you get warned before you see him that you know, he's very straight, he's going to tell you how it is. Mm. Like I've got friends <laughs> going, like ringing up crying, going, well, oh, he said this, he said that. Oh, look, at like, she's, oh, look at her, she's smiling. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but um, mm. I was, yeah, he had said to us that we had four options. We could do surrogacy, we could do donor sperm, we could give up, mm. or we could do donor embryo. And so donor embryo, I wasn't up for that. Um, donor sperm, my husband was like, if that's the easiest and quickest way, let's do it. But I wasn't comfortable with that. Mm. He had sperm. Like yeah. if he didn't have sperm, Different. I think I'd be, yeah, I'd be very open to the donor. Yeah. Um, he tried it and there was another reason why we were conceived. And so that's sort of like <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really that keen. Um, giving up wasn't an option. Mm. Um, and surrogacy was so um he let me try one more cycle because <laughs> mm. i pushed and pushed mm. uh, and i was gonna say tell me by the 15th one you at least got some no. sort of a discount no. No, nothing so no. every single time yeah um it was actually my husband that said i can't do it anymore so yeah or I'm out. Mm. yeah because so, it would take such a toll on a, on a partnership as well, going exactly. through that every month. Especially for him, like for the, I'm not sure in any other, in our relationship, him being the male and like it's not his body that's having all the injections. It's not his. Mm. If he could do it, he would. Like he's like, I wish it was me doing the injections. I wish it was me. Yeah, doing but he that. couldn't. Yeah, like mum, like he's also felt quite helpless. Mm. 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 He must have thought you were extremely brave. We, yeah, we both were. Mm. Yeah, we both were. So that's sort of, yeah, that's when we decided that, okay, let's look at surrogacy. And then how 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 did you just even start? I mean, you're obviously an amazing researcher, mm. but how did you start that process? I mean, um, Facebook. There's mm. a Victorian Victorian. Sorry. There's a Australian surrogacy community and a Victorian surrogacy community, and that was sort of my first eye opener to it. So I went to a picnic and sort of met some other people. But I mean, it was lovely, and I'm still friends with a lot of those people now. But for every 100 intended parents, as they call them, like people like Kevin and I, there's one surrogate in Australia. It's just so, I I know, it's so, it seems so so unfair. It does. And I sort of, yeah, I sort of got thinking, why would anyone choose us over it? everybody else and we're just new to this game like what what would appear to why would someone be looking at us and I also realized as well that like I was broken from all the years of IVF like I wasn't excited about surrogacy mm. I'm looking at it as something that we had to do not yeah to do. and I just sort of thought that it's not really fair. <laughs> um, she's quite excited I was gonna say something what is she loving Oh, there is a two melon here. <laughs> so sweet. 
just not even. She just loves looking at things. It's bright and colourful. That's so sweet. <laughs> Look at her. Um, yeah, and so they actually run a conference, um, a seminar uh, about surrogacy. Uh, a guy called Sam Everingham has a company called Growing Families, which helps uh, heterosexual, homosexual, all sorts of couples, single, single um, people just make their families. So we went to a conference and we sort of, Mum came with me because Kev couldn't. Kev works a lot. <laughs> he always does. So Mum came with me and we went to the conference and we learned about Australian surrogacy. Um, oh, we had Grady, yeah, Georgia, um, Georgia, Colombia, um, United States, um, Greece. Um, and I sort of had it in my head, Ukraine, because um, I had I knew someone who had done it and she had her baby and... It all seemed relatively easy and it was in our price range. Um, so that's sort of how we sort of got onto it. And then, of course, I started in the Facebook groups, Intended Parents for Ukraine, and you just learn things. And so that's sort of how we chose Ukraine. And um, Ukraine uh, really look after their surrogates, is yeah. something that we learned. That's amazing. Yeah. And also the legal system, um, like we sign out the medical power of attorney over to the agency, but then... We're the first people on the birth certificate. So, so there's no question who, who the parents right. are. We ran into a problem with that in London. <laughs> <laughs> in Australia, we're the first people on that birth certificate. We're no doubt her parents. Yeah. And because uh, I can imagine, obviously, it being overseas, that's where some people could run into some trouble trying yeah. to get their child back either to Australia or a different country. Yeah, definitely can. Um, so that was really important to us, the legal situation. And also, yeah, that the surrogate was looked after. So she would get a weekly wage. She would get a lump payment at the end. Um, and she'd also get the opportunity to move into the city if she wanted to. So, yeah, she did do that. Um, <laughs> so that's, everything's about hand in the mouth at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> She's just got to figure out which her hand is her hand and then once she does it's like the obsession begins yeah <laughs> she's liking a thumb there <laughs> very sweet so when you started the process was it sort of kev who took initiative if you the way you felt about it did you feel or did you do it kind of as a team you're like it's the ukraine this is what's going to like treat it a bit like a medical procedure uh no i didn't i just I'm the organiser in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to, we had to get married, which was the first big tick. Oh, was yeah, that for the, right. Was that for Ukraine? Yeah. So wow. Ukraine, you have to be a married heterosexual couple. Got it. So that even makes though we've been together for 20 years. That didn't um, matter. Yeah. Didn't matter. So we had to get married, um, which was lovely. I got a call and said, Mum, what are you doing in two weeks? No, time? I tried to hide it from them at the start. <laughs> <laughs> They were just going to go and get married, and then yeah. the and then what? Just rock up at dinner and be like, "Guess what? We got, we got married." married. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so, so um, it was just a beautiful day. Um, oh, that's nice. Intimate family wedding. Um, um, it was just fabulous. Put together in twenty-eight days. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty. Oh, as I say, that's pretty impressive. We can see what kind of an organizer you are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, mm-hmm. I get it. From you. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had to get married and then the paperwork's hard. Like I'd never heard of um, 
notarizing documents, apostilling documents, like all these things that you had to do. Um, and everything was a process. Everything took a while. So you had to. And obviously, you want to make sure you've done it right the first yeah. time. Yeah. So we had a lot of help and we got the documents done. And um, I had to have the official wedding certificate uh, notarized and apostilled before we could be matched with a surrogate. So we shipped our embryos over. Um, they get hand carried. <laughs> wow, wow, do they? Yeah. Wow. Because they can't go through the x-ray machine or anything. Right. That makes sense. Right. Yes, so they got hand carried over there. Um, we sent five embryos because we'd had 14 IVF fails. Or, yeah. um, we sent five embryos just in case. We just didn't know what was going to happen. And so then when they finally got our wedding certificate, we were matched with a surrogate. And so the way it works over there, pretty much we're completely on different time zones. So they would send us. <laughs> I'll just turn on silent. Sorry. That's all right. I think you're doing so well, really. She's so good. What a good baby she is. Um, and, and can I? Oh, oh there. Oh, just I haven't seen her for two weeks. And she's been having some very intensive physio and OT and she has just changed so much. She's moving more freely. She's, yeah. Oh, she she looks great. She looks very active. She looks very, wonderful. Yeah. Good neck and, good core strength. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's great. Every day here in the tummy. <laughs> in the little fat legs. Um, <laughs> um you didn't realise, you didn't remember um, know much about notarized oh, documents so, yeah. and Matched. So then we got matched with the surrogate. And so we woke up in the morning to a message from Ukraine saying, hello, please find attached your surrogate profile. And I was like, so oh they goodness. just, it's not like, I guess, you know, when you go for donor sperm as an example, you yeah. can go through a book and, you know, look about, they just do it for you, almost like a an e-harmony type thing. It's like, here's your personality traits. This is the person for you. See, I didn't really know what they looked for. I think blood type had something to do with it. Um, genetic ca um, um, capability um, matching, like you know, sure. there must have been, yeah, there must have been some um, medical. But I mean, we didn't like it, by looking at a profile. I wasn't going to say, "Oh, I don't like." That. Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. But it's it wouldn't it's, have mattered what they no, said. No, exactly. You're like, great. This is the person. Great. Yeah. All I was like. She was a similar age to her. No, she was 30, 35, um, two children of her own. Um, our condition was uh, I didn't want her to have had any miscarriages. Mm. Um, that was pretty much the only condition I had. But And, of course, you have to ask, do they, does she smoke, does she drink? Mm. It was not. <clears throat> they said no. And then, yeah, um, so we were matched with our beautiful surrogate. And then we had a Zoom meeting with her, which was just lovely. She was so nervous, though. Like, I just, mm. oh, no English. So we, I was yeah, going to say, yeah. yeah, that would have been hard. hard. It was really hard. Mm. But like, a I lot of hand actions, I can imagine. Yeah, and I didn't want to, I wasn't going to choose someone, by the way, they look or I just No, of know. course. Yeah, she just looked lovely. Oh, no, that, that's great. Yeah. And so we got matched with her and then it all happened really quickly um, because I know the process I was... <laughs> You knew. You knew how. Yeah, it was a bit of a hard time, but um, I learned that's not the way you deal with them. <laughs> um, I had to really back off and mm. just 
trust the process, which was really, really hard for me to do because I'm used to being in control. Mm. I had to really learn that there's nothing you can do. Well, I guess also for you, you went through the IVF and it was all happening to your body. So you, as much as you didn't have necessarily control, but you knew, you knew what was happening, but it's not like she was down the road to be checking on her. So, yeah, and then we got the news that um, the embryo took and, yeah, sorry, it was pregnant and that was just the best day ever. Started and that's, isn't that wonderful? How did you share that news with the family? Did you keep it to yourself for a little bit or did you? Because uh, we knew the news would be coming through sometime between midnight and 6 a.m. So I think I rang them at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone slept that night. Mm. Um, that not surprised. Not wipe that smile off my face. Oh. But yeah, and then I would start to get anxious at every scan and every milestone. I would just yeah, not be in a very good good place until I heard the good news, and then I was <sighs> I can breathe. Yes. And how did, did they share it with you? I mean, obviously, did they FaceTime you for appointments, or was it just after the appointments you'd get a message being like, con- like almost yeah. congrats, we've made it to the next. Yeah. It was, yeah, we'd only get communication after appointments. Um, and that was really hard for me. Like, yeah. communication was very um, little and far between. But um, I spoke to um, some people and they said that that is quite normal and that's what how it goes. And that's, yeah, trust the process. Trust so the process, yeah. So that's sort of what we had to do. But it was equally as hard for you and the girls. Mm. Yeah. And say probably the longest nine months. Yeah. Well, less than nine, well, well, less than nine, nine months, months because it was only, yeah. Like, it was the longest five months. Yeah. I was going to say, I realized, yes, it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, that's my next question is tell us about the day of Alba's birth. It wasn't supposed to be that day, obviously. No, it wasn't. So, one thing I learned pretty quickly as well about Ukraine is that the surrogates are like treated like princesses. Like they're very well looked after, as I said before. And mm. so and about 12 weeks we were told, we woke up to a message saying that our surrogate was hospitalised um, and we sort of didn't understand why. And I managed to sort of translate it and the midwives in Melbourne helped me and they sort of, um, we sort of figured out that she probably had some sort of cramping um, or an irritable uterus is what they call it here. And the Melbourne midwife said, oh, we would have given you two Panadols and go home, put your feet up. But mm. our surrogate was put in hospital for two weeks. Wow. Fritz bed rest. Wow. Um, so I was sort of like, oh. and then at the next appointment, our next meeting with, this, with our surrogate, I sort of said, oh, are you still working? And they're like, no, gosh, no, this is her job to look after your baby. And so I'm like, oh. So we were told on the Sunday evening we got a, a message saying, hello, your surrogate's in hospital, she's got back pain. And Kevin and I were sitting on this <laughs> couch and we sort of went, what pregnant person doesn't have back pain? Yeah. <laughs> thought nothing of it mm. like it's been gone forgotten about like I don't think I even told I can't remember no I don't think I did because I just yeah it's it's pretty sta- semi-standard back yeah. pain so the next day she had an ultrasound and I got the report and I was looking at the report thinking oh I think that's okay and I, of course I rang the Melbourne clinic and said oh can you look at this for me and the midwife wasn't in she said I'll call you tomorrow and I'm like okay and that was the day I was born oh my gosh so yeah I sort of got home from work and was pottering around and Kevin was working and he rang me saying, did you see the, what's that message? And I said, what, what's it, what, what message? 
And he's like, the baby's been born. And I'm like, whose baby? He's like, our baby. <gasps> so the back pain was labour, obviously. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Are you, what, who, what? And yeah, mum was the first person I called. How? And then what happened after that? Well, mum was in Hobart because my sister, Brooke, um, had just finished work because she was having a baby in three weeks' time. Mm. So her baby was going to be the oldest baby for 2022. Mm. Um, so I, Brooke had just finished work on the Friday and on the Monday I went to Tasmania to um to help her um nest and get mm. organized mm. and um, we've been shopping and Jess um we bought about four dozen nappies and we'd spoken to Jess on the way back because we talked about the size of nappies we should buy and um what have you. And just sat down and um at home and Brooke was preparing dinner, phone rang and Jess said the baby's been born. Mm. She was feeling hysterical. Mm. And I said, Who's baby? Mm. <laughs> said ours mm. and she said mum get me to the ukraine and so because mum was organizing mum was originally supposed to come over with me two weeks before her due date we were going to go over together so we sort of had a loose plan in place mm. so the travel agent knew so the travel agent knew that we were heading to ukraine yeah. um, around anzac day um and um i was sending her lots of information about the whole process because she was like most people just bewildered by the whole experience. Mm. Um, so I rang, um, rang, it was about 6.30 in the evening, and I rang Jackie and said, Jackie, I need to, uh, to get the kids to the Ukraine ASAP, and um, baby's been born. So she said, well, I could send them tonight at 10.30, um, or um, Donna, they're not going to have enough time because they're going to have to have a COVID test and wait, and um, I can send them tomorrow. And I said, well, tomorrow's fine. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and um, Jessie threw a tantrum, and I'm used to her tantrum. <laughs> when she was so determined at um, you know 13 months old to get what she wanted, mm. and and I said, no, you, you Jess, you just can't. You're going to get out of out of Telemarine, and you're going to miss the flight because you have the test. It's going to take you more than three hours. And by this, Kevin wasn't even home. Oh, so mm. And and I'm sure good. not much was packed at that that point either. And um, her dad was packed. Mm-hmm. For, a, for a full-term baby. Right, I mean, but still, mm-hmm. yeah, at least she had stuff. That's good. So um, I organised um, flights um, within the next um, – I, I, we, we organised flights um, to Dubai and then meanwhile, Jesse and Kev hadn't been listening to the news, watching the news much, mm. um, and most of the contact – They'd had with Ukraine about the war and what, about what was happening um, with Russia and what had been happening for the last eight years. Um, Ukraine was like, no, it's not serious. No, it's not going to happen. It's just mm. like any other day. Yeah. Yes. And they thought it was, we were a little more doubtful. Yeah. We were a little more up to speed with it. Yes. And, um, I wasn't listening. Anyone speak to me about it? I'm like, not available. Things. So you couldn't have that conversation with her. Um, with Jess, um, uh, so no one ventured to go there because it was just no, my shut down. Because I said to oh, him, yeah. um, he said, oh, he brought it up one day and I said, oh, it's nothing, nothing, mate. And he's like, 100,000 tanks on the Ukraine border is or something. And I'm like, no, no, no. They'll just turn <laughs> so, around. They'll turn around and go back. It's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Especially just, when I know I'm coming. <laughs> so so um, we organised flights and then um, we were following the flight and then, of course, um, on 
the eve of the 22nd here, um, Putin declared war. Mm. And um, we knew exactly what was happening. Airspace was closed immediately over Ukraine. Um, travel agents suggested we flick them to Turkey, um, but just from Dubai. Um, but we decided just to let them get to Dubai and find out for themselves and see what the plan was. Um, and they got to Dubai and Jess around me and said, what in the hell is going on? Mm. Like our flight's been cancelled. Because um, I had DFAT ring me, asked me where we were, and I said, we're at Dubai Airport. I mean, we'd just been on a 14-hour flight, I think, and the first half of it, Kevin and I were petrified. Like we sure. were so scared and we were just like feeling sick. And then the second half we were like, oh, my God, we're going to meet Albert today. Like mm. we're probably like seven hours to Dubai and then we have to wait and then next flight, like within 12 hours we're going to be with mm. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you have a mother and daughter story that you would like to share, send us a DM on Instagram at Mothers and Daughters Pod. If you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a new episode. Spread the love and share the podcast with your mum or sister or friend. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. See you next week and don't forget to call your mum.